This is Tony Roberts, and you're listening to WBAI in New York, the voice of truth since 1960. Welcome to City Watch, a watchdog program for social, economic, political, and cultural issues here in New York City. You are just listening to Con Sabor Latino with Nando Alberici. Wonderful show. I hope you tune in every Sunday afternoon to hear Nando. He's fantastic. Uh, I'm Jeff Simmons, your host. I'm happy with uh, that you're with us today, and I want to say Happy New Year to our listeners. A uh, lot of news going on. Uh, in our universe uh, here. I don't know if uh, you participated in the march across the Brooklyn Bridge today uh, in the wake of the anti-Semitic attacks. There was also the giant uh, rally this weekend for people who are concerned that the United States might wind up in, a, in World War III because that has been just burning up not only the airwaves but Twitter. Uh, and earlier today, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, had warned that the country, the U.S., could uh, uh, could hit within the country's borders, within Iran's borders, uh, and, you know, to retaliate if ter- Tehran uh, retaliates. A lot going on in the news. So if you are a new listener uh, to City Watch here on WBAI, uh, what I've often done is focus on issues that impact New York City. Sometimes we touch on culture. Other times it's been uh, city government. We focused on health. We focused on immigration. This year I'd like to do a lot of the shows uh, focusing on specific topics. And so today, we're going to start off with education. So with everything going on in the world, you know, I also want to think of our future generations and, you know, what our our kids go through in schools. And I used to cover education back in New Jersey for the Bergen Record. And then uh, I was with the New York Post Daily News and New York One News. So I covered education way back when, uh, when it was called here in New York City, the Board of Education, before it became the Department of Education, before mayoral control took place uh, here in the city. Uh, and so when I first came to the city, it was on the heels of, and you longtime residents probably remember this, uh, the Children of the Rainbow and Heather Had Two Mommies controversies that led to Chancellor Fernandez leaving. And I covered the Chancellor search with uh, Ramon Cortinas coming on board, uh, then his squabbles with then-Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and then the uh, entrance of Rudy Crew, and then Harold Levy. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was always interested in how our schools were operating, not just from the the top, but also from the from from the bottom, where for in the trenches, the the parents and the teachers and the students, and what their daily lives were. So. What we're going to do today is I'm joined in studio by a fantastic guest, one of our city's premier education reporters, who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. We're going to talk about the issues that are percolating and the issues that are on the horizon. And then we're going to bring in a guest in a little while, a New York State senator who chairs the education committee within the Senate, uh, Shelley Mayer. And we're going to talk with her about the issues that are going to be addressed on a state level. And we are going to then take your calls because we want to know what you think of our state city schools, what you think are the important issues that are facing uh, the future of our schools, if you think our kids are learning what they should or, or if they're not. And the number, write it down, and I'll let you know when, in about maybe about 20, 25 after, we'll start taking your calls. Uh, the number that you'll be able to call is 212 208 2877. I'll remind you of that number, uh, but it is 212 208 2877. So, Joining me today, very special guest in studio, Medina Torre. She is the New York City K-12 and higher education policy and politics reporter at Politico. She's a native New Yorker. Her family is from the Comoros. Am I saying that right? Yes. Comoros Islands and Guinea. She previously covered New York City politics for the Observer and General News, and that's where I had first crossed paths with her. General News in the neighborhoods of Flushing, College Point, Whitestone, and Fresh Meadows for the Times, Ledger newspapers in Queens. Welcome to WBAI. Thank you, and thank you for that lovely introduction, and Happy New Year to to you and to all of uh, your listeners. And welcome back from vacation, because I think both of us were off uh, for a good period of time. Yeah, I still have one more day. (laughs) 
and then I'm back on Tuesday. But yeah, it's good to to be back in the zone. <laughs> and what was interesting is talking with you before the show started, uh, you realized that even when you took off, the news did not slow down. There was still news. You know, did you get kind of that itch? Do you get a, a little like frantic like or neurotic like I used to taking any time off that there'd still be all this education news? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I usually when I'm off, I just try to check out and not look at stuff. But, you know, I, even when I'm on vacation, I'm on social media and, you know, I'd see some headlines here and there and I'm just like, my God, it's like it's December and like things are still happening. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and as we were talking about, too, that, you know, the assumption could be that when schools go on break each summer, uh, that uh, it's slow for education reporters, but it never is. That's always an active period. Right. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. yeah. So, Medina, uh, we're going to have Shelley Mayer on the phone in a, in a short while. And before we get to that, I just wanted to talk with you about some of the issues that you've been covering recently. And if we have to interrupt for our guests, we'll come back to them. But one of them that uh, you covered most recently was the uh, was the uh, yeshiva. Uh, I'll say controversy here in New York City about the t- the quality of ed- the lawsuit involving the quality of education that students in our yeshivas are getting here in the city. Can you talk a little about that story? Yeah. So um, basically, it starts with uh, 2015. This group called Yafed had um, you know lodged a complaint against um, like. 39 yeshivas that the group said was not meeting educational standards. Um, the investigation has been delayed for a while. Um, you know, C- C- Chancellor Carranza came in, put out a report, um, you know, called out some schools. Then there was, you know, uh, a, a follow-up report to the State Education Department about some schools not cooperating. State Education Department stepped in, set this deadline for, you know, setting up visits. There was a lot of back and forth. Um, and then this kind of brings us to the recent recent story. Um, first, um, you know, the, the Department of Event Investigation came out um, and, and the Special Commissioner of Investigation for City Schools came out with a report um, basically finding that the mayor had engaged in some, quote, political horse trading to delay the probe, basically, um, you know, working out some kind of agreement with state legislators to um, extend mayoral control and in turn delay the probe. Um, and then, um, you know, the... Um, the Department of Education finally came out with its own report that it sent to the State Education Department. Um, it basically found that there were two, uh, only two yeshivas that were uh, providing substantially equivalent instruction. There were another nine that are like on the verge of getting there. Another 12 are like developing. And then there were five that were underdeveloped. Um, and there were a total of like 28 schools that were visited. And so now, you know, the, the chancellor is saying that they're going to be scheduling some follow-up visits and sort of next steps are coming, coming, coming uh, down the pipeline. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a long overdue uh, report. There's something that people have been awaiting. And now Yafed and other people are calling for schools to be sanctioned and, and you know, calling out the city for the delay and some of the politics that have been involved in that. So, And, and ultimately, what does this mean for the students who are enrolled in these schools? Or is it going to matter because it's gone on for so long that many of them would have graduated and just it'll impact future generations of their students? Right. So students. I think a lot of what Yafed and some of the other advocates and even parents of students in schools have been saying is just that, you know, the impact with with the investigation being delayed so long is like people not receiving the education they're supposed to be receiving, um, basically students being denied the basic education that they need. Um, so that's sort of like an immediate impact. And there was, with the recent report that you mentioned, there was the, uh, uh, I want to say suggestion, but it was more than a suggestion that uh, the timing of uh, the uh, I guess the mayor's announcement or the mayor's uh, intervention, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was kind of exposed as being somewhat politically motivated. I, I might have that wrong. Can you elaborate on that what, about what it indicated about the mayor's role in this? Yeah, I mean, the report was very interesting. I mean, again, they mentioned that there, um, you know, there was evidence of political horse trading. They said the mayor's representatives and state legislators' representatives were having conversations that they couldn't really identify whether the mayor had personally authorized the delay, but that he was aware of the delay and that he had some conversations with Orthodox leaders and a a state lawmaker. Um, And so it it was sort of nuanced, but it was clear that there was, you know, it was clear that a a delay had occurred um, in exchange for getting this mayoral control extended. And uh, you've mentioned Yafed, Mm -hmm. uh, which stands for, I 
got it down here, Young Advocates for Fair Education. Uh, that lawsuit still exists, or that uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Where does that lawsuit stand right now? Right. So they filed this complaint that led to that this investigation, and so now what's happening now is that they're, um, you know, the city is like kind of working with the schools and scheduling follow-up visits and things like that. So got it. The other big issue that you focused on uh, last month, which just keeps going on is uh, ever since the mayor made his announcement uh, that he was going to what rejigger or overhaul the specialized schools uh, exam uh, and you last month spoke with uh, potential mayoral candidates on their views on this but before we get to that talk a little about where that um, where it stands as far as the mayor wanting to reform the SHSAT Right. So um, as everyone knows, the mayor um, introduced this plan to uh, scrap the specialized high school admissions test. Um, there was a lot of uproar from, you know, individuals, critics who felt that the, uh, you know, plan would discriminate against uh, Asian students. Um, you know, the plan has uh, failed to gain traction in Albany twice. Um, you know, now, um, you know, the mayor somewhat recently said that he was open to having a conversation about a, an approach that keeps the test in place. Um, you know, the assemblyman Charles Barron, who was carrying the plan in Albany uh, in the assembly, um, and, um, you know, even Chancellor Carranza, they're talking about pushing for a complete repeal of the state law that mandates the use of this test at, um, you know, these three, the big three schools. So, um, you know, now that the legislative session is going to be starting up again, that's definitely going to be among the issues um, that, you know, folks will be paying a attention to. And, 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 you know, given that it's it's clear that the, the mayor's plan's not working, you know, not being embraced, I think maybe the question is, like, what, what kind of solution? There's going to be pressure on lawmakers to come up with something, um, you know, and, and, you know, once the results of, um, you know, admissions come out again, that pressure is going to increase. Um, there's been a lot of hearings and panels, but, you know, ultimately, you know, there's going to be pressure for their for some kind of decision to be made in that regard. Leroy Comrie has a bill that's calling for like additional specialized high schools. I know there are groups like Education Equity Campaign, this coalition, you know, they're they're talking about expanding gifted and talented programming and, you know, that debate is starting up in the city as well, like whether G and T needs to be revamped. So yeah, there's there's definitely a lot that's going to be that, happening, and that was uh, one of the stories I read while you were off. Matt. I think uh, Gothamist had uh, talked about G and T as well. You uh, talked with mayoral candidates. So where does each one stand, and who's been ducking you on this issue so far? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think as you saw in the story, um, you know, Controller Scott Stringer was one of the. Um, you know, potential or likely candidates that I spoke to, um, you know, he spoke about wanting a pilot at the the five schools, because as you know, there are five schools that are under the city's control. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, why doesn't the mayor change admissions at the schools that he has the power to change admissions at? You know, he's been talking about pilots replacing the, the tests with these seventh grade state tests in math and English. But, you know, in terms of the um, the big three schools where, you know, the question of like whether or not the test should be scrapped at those big three schools, you know, he didn't take a position. And so that was something that was striking and is kind of a sign of how how polarizing um, this issue has become. And um, I think, you know, in speaking with the other candidates, I know the speaker, uh, Corey Johnson, has been talking about scrapping the test and like, you know, creating some new um, specialized high school, something like that. And like, you know, there's like a whole host of bills in the council that were passed, like creating a task force, things like that. Um, you know, the Bronx Borough president, I believe at one point was supportive of the mayor's plan, from my understanding, but, you know, is talking about a more holistic process, you know, keeping the test and maybe examining it and then, you know, having other factors be considered. The Brooklyn Borough president, you know, he also was someone who, was very embracing of the plan. There was a report about him losing some donor support, so he kind of flipped. And now he's talking about a holistic process, something like that. Um, I, I, I did. I talked to like Diane Morales and mm -hmm. um, Joyce Lynn Taylor. Um, I think Diane Morales had a bit of a nuanced position wasn't totally entirely and she's, and she's for our listeners she's been on our show before she's one of the declared candidates so yeah far. yeah um i mean she was saying that she was kind of talking about how studies show that you know um relying exclusively on a test is you know not 
the best approach, but she was talking about creating sort of a buy-in process and like having people be part of the conversation, even if they don't agree. Um, I think <laughs> Joyce Lynn Taylor wants to keep the test and she was, you know, just kind of talking about how there's a need for that. Um, yeah, so those were some of the, the things. And that that's, and, and that's a very good point. You, you question, is it just about the test that helps you, helps a student? Uh, how they score in the test to get uh, or qualify or, you know, uh, be eligible to get into one of these schools or should there be other factors? What are those other factors? And something else you did mention, I've heard this before, which is why limit it just to the seven, right. seven specialized schools? Mm-hmm. Why can there not be more schools? So there's more opportunities right. for and students. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the candidates were talking about the five schools. And I think, I think a Generally, at this point, a lot of people are talking about the five schools, like even people who oppose the mayor's plan. It's like, well, you know, maybe you can send a message to Albany. But, you know, I think the city at this point has indicated they want to focus on on all eight schools. So so uh, the other issue that and, you know, uh, we are we're waiting for our guest to call in. We haven't heard from her yet. Oh, is she in? Oh, she's on. Oh, she's here. Great. Fantastic. So we're going to go to our next, our first guest for Medina and I. Uh, this is Shelley Mayer, a Democratic member of the New York State Senate representing the 37th Senate District, and that includes portions of Westchester County. Formerly a member of the New York State Assembly, she was first elected in a special election in 2018. She chairs the State Senate's Education Committee, and she joins Medina and I tonight to talk about the issues on the horizon this year. Welcome to WBAI. Thank you. Thank you for letting me listen into all this highly informed conversation, Medina. Thank you. So, uh, uh, first of all, you know, before we get into some specific issues, uh, give us a sense of, you know, the work that is ahead for the Senate's Education Committee uh, uh, in the coming months in 2020, the issues that you expect to work on. Okay, I'm happy to do it, but I do want to explain to your listeners, because the focus is understandably very New York City focused. I do want to say first, I think the reason I was chosen as chair of the Senate Education Committee is because in the Assembly, I only represented the city of Yonkers, one of the big five, very much an urban school district, majority minority, with nothing but significant financial challenges year after year, as well as other challenges. And I think it was my experience in an urban school district that led the majority leader, Senator Andrea Stewart-Cousins, to select me as chair, and I'm honored to do it now for a second year. But there also, she created a committee on New York City schools, which had not existed with the prior Republican majority, which frankly had not paid a whole lot of attention to New York City schools, even though there's the largest district in the country. And Senator John Liu, who you all know very well from all his years serving New York, is the chair of the Committee on New York City Schools. He and I work very closely, and issues that are New York City-specific tend to go to his committee first for consideration by his members who are New York City residents. Oh, and and, uh, in your... Uh, with your committee, looking then at state issues, for instance, uh, yes. you yes. in December you recently had a hearing, if I'm correct, regarding uh, regarding school funding as we look towards uh, the next uh, uh, state budget. Talk a little about that, and you know what some of your observations were. Okay, well, as your listeners may or may not know, state funding for public education is determined at least ostensibly by what's called the foundation aid formula was created in law in 2007 after the court of appeals decision in the cfe lawsuit in which the plaintiff was senator robert jackson one of my fantastic colleagues which said that every child is entitled to a sound basic education at least in new york city and we believe for the state of new york when the statute was adopted in 2007 it was supposed to be a way of deciding which districts had the greatest need and that money from the state, uh, which is a very significant portion of education aid statewide, would be based on need. And it had a number of factors in determining need, including area wealth as determined by property tax. Uh, It had census data based on 2000 census. It gave a certain weight for English language learners, but certainly not Uh, how the world has changed in terms of the proportion of students for whom English is no longer their first language. 
it gave some weight to students with special needs, but we don't believe enough weight to that. So it was a very good start, but the fact is it was supposed to be phased in over four years, and it was never fully funded. It was funded for two years, then the recession hit, it was put on hold. In fact, money was taken away from schools. Eventually, we got sort of back to the basics, but our school districts are way behind in what they are owed. The city of New York is owed millions. The state owes, we believe, districts across the state billions, and the Board of Regents agrees with us. So our first fight is with the governor each year trying to get what money we believe is owed under the statute and under the premise of the Court of Appeals decision. But in talking to people last year and in working on the budget in our first year in the majority, it was clear that some aspects of the formula maybe should not be thrown out, but should be modified and updated, whether it's this English language learners waiting, special ed waiting, the need for mental health services for our students, which, you know, as you pointed out at the beginning, Jeff, it's all about what's happening in the classroom. It's all about what's really going on for students and parents and teachers. That's where we have to focus. So we decided to have five roundtables around the state and instead of just hearing from people in Albany who represent organizations that do a very good job of advocating for their members, we wanted to hear from teachers, students, school board members, mayors, advocates, civil rights activists throughout the state about what their school districts were actually like in terms of how much money they get. So we had one in Buffalo, one in Syracuse, uh, one in Yonkers. We had one in Long Island. We had one in Queens. And then we culminated with a hearing that you're referring to at 250 Broadway in Manhattan. where we And all these places, we heard on-the-ground issues about how schools really are challenged. Even though the state pays a lot of money towards public education, they are not able to provide the services that their students need, particularly in schools that are urban and a disproportionately minority. There were a lot of complaints about our rural schools with declining enrollments, as well as some of our suburban districts, including mine, where the world has changed in 10 years. And, and the ring of suburbs around New York City is a whole different kettle of fish than it was in 2007. So we heard firsthand about what's happening in the classroom and in the school and we believe it, it gave us additional uh, authority to argue for more money and also to possibly make some modest modifications in the way the money is distributed. We spend billions of dollars on school aid, but we distribute it by a fairly political formula, although we are trying as the new majority to make it much more based on merit and what a kid needs and not on who represents them and what zip code they live in. So, I mean, do you, uh, Senator, if you could speak a little bit about what your strategy is going to be uh, going in this session and as budget talks um, start to um, kick in, um, you know, I know the state is, you know, is facing this like $6 billion deficit. You know, the governor has been talking about this 2% spending cap. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that it's going to be a tougher fight. I know that everyone's been calling for an increase in aid, like $2 billion. Um, you know, I, I know that the Board of Regents is also like asking for requesting funds to, you know, research, you know, you know, making tweaks to the formula. There's been a lot of conversation mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I think across the board, at least in, I know, I'm sure this is happening statewide, but at least in the city, you know, everyone's saying, well, um, foundation aid needs to be increased. Um, schools statewide are owed $3.7 billion. New York City is owed $1.1 billion. I'm just wondering, like, you know, are you going to prioritize, like, getting more, the, the money that's, that's everyone's saying is owed? Or, and, and, and there's also this aspect of, like, making tweaks to the foundation aid formula. You know, people are talking about the fact that poverty levels are being assessed based on, like, outdated census data. People are talking about homelessness, mm -hmm. special education students being lumped together when they have different um, needs. So I'm just wondering, like, what what is going to be uh, your strategy going in? And do you anticipate that the, it'll, it'll be tough? Will it be tougher to get, um, you know, this this funding issue addressed given the uh, the deficit? 
I start with saying that we, as the Senate majority, have not yet been briefed on this deficit. And so until, you know, and obviously want to be responsible fiscally. That being said, you know, we ran on and ran for the premise that our schools needed more what they deserved under the statute and what they need in order to independently do the best they can for every kid. So, you know, I wait, I will await the presentation of why we have a $6 billion deficit, why that happened, you know, uh, can we do things to alleviate it? And as I said, we haven't been briefed on it other than the governor sort of mentioning it. So I'm starting with the premise we need to fight tooth and nail to get the money our schools need. Uh, we will deal with the fiscal challenges the state has. That's our job. But we're not going to sort of shy away from engaging in a full-throated argument on behalf of these kids. You know, it's one thing for those in power to speak on behalf of sort of the best educational interests, and I think you, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I respect them greatly, but the school superintendents and the school boards and the teachers, all of whom I work closely with, they, they have a voice. But we need to be the voice of these students and parents, and we're not going to back down on that. We did do uh, battle with the governor last year. We weren't entirely uh, successful from my point of view uh, because we only we doubled his foundation aid number. But it's our job to fight and um, to argue with him. And to the point about the spending cap, that is not a statutory matter. The governor has a self-imposed 2% spending cap which is an understandable one. I represent a lot of high property taxpayers, and they care deeply about the state staying within reasonable limits of expenditures. But there's other ways to get revenue that I think are not taxes, including having full table gaming at the two downstate racinos, the one in Queens and the one in Yonkers, which potentially brings in billions of dollars for school education aid. And I think we have to be creative and look for other sources of revenue and then be prepared to spend them on our schools. We can't fall behind what other states are doing in terms of creativity, in terms of addressing actual student needs, the points you've made about student poverty, homelessness. We heard all about that as we traveled about the state. And mental health needs. You know, our students have substantially greater mental health challenges than they had in school 12 years ago. And we have schools that want to have social workers, can't afford them. Need more guidance counselors, can't afford them. Uh, these, are, these are not extras, these are essential. So, you know, we're gonna go in with a very strong push. We're going to be responsible and listen to what the governor and the people from the Division of the Budget say. But, uh, you know, I certainly start with the obligation that I feel, which is I'm fighting for these kids and my colleagues, there's nothing more important to them than public education, nothing. We all ran on that. We all care about our schools and we all spend time in school. So um, we're not backing down at this. You know, we, we see no reason not to move ahead with a great deal of urgency. So a little earlier, you, you know, you flagged that I had talked about, you know, what you know, uh, the importance of considering the needs in the, in the classroom, the teachers, the parents, the students. And yeah. I think of just the last few days that in the wake of uh, the uh, uh, rash of anti-Semitic incidents, uh, there have been there's been a discussion about here in New York City in particular about having a component of the curriculum involving uh, involving uh, uh, educating students on hate crimes. And I also, uh, Senator, I also work with the Museum of Jewish Heritage, and I know they have a Holocaust curriculum in which they've worked mm -hmm. with the New York City Department of Education on that. Do you think statewide there is a need uh, for a specific component of all curricula that addresses uh, hate crimes? I do. The current law, which is really like a mishmash, um, the current education law in the curriculum area specifically references that there must be education about the Holocaust, as well as a number of other very significant um, issues, including slavery in the United States, 
Um, the Irish potato famine is in there. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is a mix of things, all of which are serious. I think this is a moment when the state law must be clarified that we have to have very targeted, age-appropriate curriculum at every level about learning about the symbols of hate. Uh, obviously, in the, from the point of view of the anti-Semitism, that's one series of things. But the use of the noose um, in, has been used in, in, to intimidate. We have to educate kids about that. So I believe there is a bill by Senator Kaminsky that um, hopefully we're going to pass that deals with these symbols of hate. But I think beyond that, and I'm confident the State Education Department is on the same page with us here, we absolutely have to step it up and educate kids about what is hate speech, what are symbols of hate, and the consequences of these actions. So I, I am hopeful, and I'm going to be pushing for us to do as much as we can at the beginning of the session on these issues. And I suspect the governor may put some things in his uh, state of the state on these issues as well. So it's, it's a deeply, deeply troubling to us. So you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM City Watch, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I'm joined in studio by political education reporter Medina Torre. We are on the phone right now with uh, New York State Senator Shelley Mayer, and we'll be taking your calls in a short while. Uh, I'll leave the next question to you, Medina. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Um, you know, another thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, There's there's been a... Um, there's been a big debate about um, school integration and inequality in the public school system. Among those issues is specialized high schools. Um, you know, the mayor's plan, he want, wanted to scrap the test. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of appetite for that in Albany. Um, you know, failed to get traction twice. I'm just wondering, like, what you know, what you think it will be the solution this coming session. I, I imagine that there's going to be some pressure for lawmakers to come up with uh, uh, some sort of a plan to address the, um, you know, the very low number of black and Latino students admitted to the school. So I was wondering if you could give us a sense of where where you are and how you're planning to tackle that issue this session. That issue, I think, rightly belongs in the Committee on New York City Schools. I, I think... New York City uh, parents would be rightly offended to have, you know, these non-New York City members deciding this issue. Senator Liu, I think, has held a series of roundtables and hearings on it, and I'm going to take my lead from the New York City members in our conference right, and how in, we deal with that. But in, in terms of this uh, state law that mandates the use of the test at the, the, the big three schools, I mean, you know, Charles Barron has spoken about repealing repealing that. Chancellor Carranza has also made a similar um, argument. I mean, do you do you think that that law should be repealed and that the you know the city should have control of what's happening in these schools? And then, of course, you I mean, this is a whole other issue, but you have the five schools that are under the city's control. I mean, do you do you right. think the state law right. sh should be repealed? Again, I'm going to defer to my New York City colleagues. I'm going to take my lead from them. I have met with uh, Assemblyman Barron. You know, I served in the assembly with him, and um, he's met with me about his bill. But for now, I start with taking my lead from them. So an another issue that is uh, likely going to come up uh, throughout the year, which is a statewide issue, but here in New York City, I know uh, they've bumped up against the the the, the cap uh, is uh, the future of charter schools. Uh, is this something you expect to be taken up uh, in the first half of this year again with, in session, uh, discussion of possibly increasing the uh, the number of charter schools that be, can be created in the city and state? Well, I have, I have not been in support of raising the charter cap in New York City for a long time. Um, that being said, we did not deal with it last session. Uh, in terms of the cap in the city, the governor did not press it in, in the budget. And I don't think our conference, uh, although there's a division of opinion, of course, among my colleagues from the city, 
I think our view, and I, I think I speak for everyone, is our first priority is to children in traditional public schools. We respect that parents have choice. Charters exist. Some of them have had excellent results. Others we have questions about. And we have a number of bills uh, to increase transparency, reporting, more disclosure of uh, how many ELLs they have and the special needs students they take, how many kids transfer in and out. We have a lot of information we'd like to see. But I think, you know, again, our focus is going to be on getting the money we think our traditional public schools need. And um, that's, that's our fight for this year. If, if the charter issue comes up, I suspect uh, that would be by some other entity or some other part of the government. But at this point, I don't see it on our, short, on our list. Right. Um, I'm also curious about um, what will be happening with the DREAM Act. I know that, um, you know, my colleague and I, we've spoken with some advocates, some groups that have said that, you know, it, it's not entirely clear, like, to what extent um, the, the, like, you know, just with respect to the effectiveness of the program, what kind of impact it's had. There's also been some confusion about the application process. Um, you know, I know Chalkbeat's done a lot of reporting on this. Um you know, and, and, you know, even recently before the holiday, there was, a, you know, Make the Road New York had a whole press conference about, you know, you know, the need for more training for guidance counselors, for teachers and just how it works. I know Chancellor Kranz has spoken about some steps the DOE has taken, you know, training educators, their college bridge program. Um, and, you know, Assemblywoman uh, Carmen De La Rosa, one of the, the sponsors um, in the state legislature, has, you know, spoken about wanting a, a PR campaign. Um, you know, I'm just wondering, like, what, you know, what you, you might be doing to address some of those issues. I mean, it's it's obviously it's a, it's a new program, you know, was passed in April, rolled out and like they had like three months to roll out. So naturally, there's some kinks. I'm just wondering, like, what you know, to what extent you may be taking up this issue, what you might be doing to address some of those uh, challenges that have arisen. Well, I'm very interested in looking at the data as to, um, you know, the, the challenges that, like you say, a new program like this has and how we can do better. You know, I think um, Carmen De La Rosa, who's a fantastic advocate who I work with in the Assembly and elsewhere, I think the idea of doing public campaigns is very important. You know, in, in the Yonkers School District, for example, we don't have, we have probably one guidance counselor for multiple thousands of children. And these kids, you know, some of the top students in, in, in my school district, in Yonkers, are eligible for the DREAM Act. They're dreamers. And this is a path forward for them. This is a fantastic opportunity. We don't want to blow it. So I think the idea of doing a public campaign is very important. I would tend to be very supportive of that. I think it's likely to be a subject of either hearings or a roundtable with a proposed, some proposed resolutions that we address in the budget. So, Senator, we've got just about a minute or two left, and I did want to ask you, because uh, in a way you're preaching to the choir on this one, because I do agree <laughs> with you on this, which is you have pushed for uh, a strengthening of civics education in our schools, and it, you weren't able to, I guess, get this through uh, in the last session. Will this come up again, and can you just tell our listeners a little about what you'd like to achieve? Yes, and I feel very strongly about it. I, I was not successful. I had a series of bills, one that would require civics education, although it is currently, you know, technically required by the regions. It's, it's, I think we have to give the force of the legislature to say we really want it. But there's a great reluctance to telling school districts what to do, um, you know, particularly in the world outside New York City and this whole concept of unfunded mandates, unless you give them more money. That being said... We've got to teach kids from the from pre-kindergarten and four-year-olds uh, up till post-high school age what civics is about, what civic participation is about, what the levels of government are. I'm very, very frustrated by the lack of knowledge of our, including our high school seniors, about the difference between state and federal and local government uh, about how to become engaged. We've greatly expanded the right for younger people to register, now up to 16 in the last changes we made. 
I want to see school districts work with their boards of election in conjunction with that bill to provide an easier registration for 16 and 17 year olds in school twice a year. I want to have a program where students can take a gap year between the last year in high school and going to college or whatever they choose at a very modest stipend to work in a government office of any, any government level of, of their choosing. Uh, so I think there's a range of things. The regents, again, you know, credit to them. They're much more forward-thinking, in my opinion, than they were before. They have a task force on this. Um, they've come up with some very substantive recommendations, and I look forward to working with them. But we can't pass the baton over to them. We need to make sure kids know what this democracy is about and how to participate. There couldn't be a more pressing moment than right now to encourage students to step up and step into the democratic process. So, Senator, how can people, as we close out, how can people learn more about you and the work of the committee? Well, uh, one, uh, my office is in Port Chester, which is part of my district, a majority-minority school district that is doing exceptionally well. We've got to fight for more money. But if you uh, look me up on the Senate webpage, Shelley Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, um, you can reach me at smayer, M-A-Y-E-R, at nysenate.gov is my email. And, yes, I do, or my staff does and passes on to me the emails I receive. I have a terrific committee director who formerly worked for the New York City schools and then for the big five schools, Georgia Shudo, a true expert on school finance. And she is also in my Porchester office and then in Albany with me. So you can reach me by email or in my, certainly in my Albany office by calling the Senate and asking for my office. And um, it's been my honor, really, to be the chair of a committee that is so important to the future of our democracy. And I look forward to hearing from your listeners. Senator Mayor, thank you so much for joining Medina and I here on WBAI tonight. Thank you, Senator. Thanks. Thanks again. Everyone calls me Shelly, by the way. Okay. 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 So you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM City Watch. The phone lines are now open, 212-208-2877. We have a caller on the line. What is your name and what is on your mind? Welcome to BAI. Thanks very much. My name's Russell. I'm up in West Harris, and I'm I'm one of Shelly's constituents. And... uh, Hello? Oh, yeah. Welcome, Russell. What's, what's your question or thought? Well, I wanted to mention to Shelley, you know, I was a 1974 graduate of one of these schools, and many of us live up here in Westchester in her district. I've met many people. And I was there when they passed Heck Calandra, this law that uh, was essentially a pushback to affirmative action in the 1970s. It was, it was passed by the Jewish and Italian Parents Association because they saw affirmative action having blacks and Hispanics going to school with us. In 72, it changed. It, was a, it started to change, and I thought, well, it'll, it'll eventually you know, even out because the culture is not going this way. I didn't realize when, until my son went there and graduated in 2003 how segregated uh, that school I went to was, Stuyvesant. I would never have sent him there if I'd known what he was being put into. And I think Coranza's plan to take the top 7% of every junior high school it's brilliant because it combats residential segregation. People who want their kids in a good school, in, 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 in one of these schools, is, are going to move to a neighborhood that might benefit from their children. So I think de Blasio's plan shouldn't be put down, and all they should do is uh, revoke Tech Calandra. It was a racist bill then, and it's a racist bill law now. Thanks very much, folks. Thank you. R- Russell, thanks for giving us a call today. We've got another caller on the line. Remember the number's 212-208-2877. Welcome to BAI. What's your name? I'm sorry? My name is Rick. Oh, 209. Whoops, I'm screwing that up. Sorry, folks. 209-2877. Welcome to WBAI. Hi, my name is Rick. Hi, Rick. I'm from, I'm from White Plains, and the senator is my senator. And the center has actually attended more educational stuff with my teacher than any. I'm sorry, your voice seems to be breaking up a bit. Do you mind repeating? Oh. Um, I'm standing out in front of my house to get through. Yeah, Rick, we're going to have to cut you off. Call back okay, from okay. a safer space. We're not hearing you well. Yeah, it's breaking up a okay, bit. Sure. 
Again, and to repeat the correct number, thank you, Max, 212-209-2877. Don't know why I messed that up. After a year and a half, I should have should have remembered that. The <laughs> so right. I know it's right on the wall, folks. Holiday, holiday it's mindset. It's right on the wall, folks, including <laughs> the list of words we're not supposed to use on the air. Anyway, the number is 212-209-2877. Maybe this is uh, Rick calling back. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. It's Rick. I called back. Ah, much better, much yes, better. much better. Yes, much better. Great. Yeah. What I wanted to say is uh, the senator is my senator. I'm here in White Plains. And she's physically showing up at schools, which is great because uh, really it's so difficult to get constituent services from anybody. And even though I may not agree 100% with all the things that are stated, she actually puts her body in the school. And that's, that's great. She's shown up to events. So I wanted to thank her for that to start with. Um, but briefly, uh, I just wanted to ask the senator, why should we let politicians and media establishments define what a good education is? When I was growing up, we had the General Motors plant in North Tarrytown. We had metal shop in my high school. I went to Hastings High School. And nowadays, it seems like they're trying to force a square peg into a round hole. There are so many high-paying jobs out there. Some of the highest-paying jobs in the city are driving a subway train. Why is Albany and why is trying to force everybody to go to college? Some people don't have that ability. And why doesn't any politician just have the, uh, have the, uh, I want the guts to stand up and say, listen, there's great jobs out there. We need plumbers. We need steam fitters. And the other question is, why should state aid be apportioned based upon how wealthy people are? Why should people in Scarsdale have that high school when people in uh, Tremont have a crappy high school when the reality is this is a public service? Why can't state income taxes be apportioned per capita per student to have a proper education and quit screwing around? That's my two questions, and thank you. Rick, thank you so much for giving us a call today here on WBAI. Hopefully the senator has has listened and heard that. Um, we've got another call on the line. Wow, the phone lines are lighting up. We've got a few minutes left. Yeah. Numbers uh, 212-209-2877. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what is on your mind? Hi, my name is Judy. I'm calling from the Bronx. I'm calling about the specialized high school. I... If the question is how to desegregate the specialized high schools, you don't scrap them. I have 10 members of my family went to Bronx Science from class of 64 to 20 to 2017. And the reason I wanted my kids there is it was a place that actually embraces the kids' capability and helps them to, to compete in a high-level section. Um, the, the issue with the test is test preparation has to be free. My son had the benefit of Science Schools Initiatives, which was started by alumni of Stuyvesant when they saw how desegregated it was, and they provided test prep for kids who were promising who wouldn't be able to take test prep. And so if the test prep is available to all kids, all those who are capable will be able to advance but the test prep is a very lucrative business extremely lucrative and and there there are people who are you know are putting money into that for their children they're investing that way and some of us don't have it to invest that way from early on so information about the specialized high schools has to be disseminated from sixth grade to parents and students and teachers from sixth grade on so they can start preparing and have ability and the access to test prep because it's amazing how I, I meet so many incredibly smart kids and it's like why didn't they, they even apply to those schools? Oh well they didn't have the money for test prep or they didn't know about it until like three weeks before the, the test or things like this. Their guidance counselors didn't tell them about it and so it really is there's so much that has to do with the perceptions and presumptions about people's capability and so um i think that's what has to be addressed not just saying oh you know the problem is you know 
these kids aren't there, so therefore scrap it. Because then it, you, you just create a division between, you know, the Asian kids who are there and the black and Latins who aren't there or something like that. Um, I mean, actually, when I went to my son's school, it was definitely more segregated when, that, when I went there in 1977. But the thing is that, you know, I also see that the students from Queens, they have buses that bring those families from Queens whatever time of day or night that there's an event at the school. We need that kind of support in all the, the neighborhoods of the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can imagine, the kids from way out in Queens, there's a bus a school bus waiting for them and their family at 8.30 at night to bring them back. But the kids who live, you know, not so far away or just, you know, the middle of the Bronx, they've got to get on that, on that iron horse and take it down, downtown. And is that really going to make sense to them on a school night? So there are, there are all types of things and supports that we all need to be looking at that is not just a matter of, of looking at the color of who's there, but what are the supports, what are the efforts, what's the, the equity of opportunity that can be provided. Judy, thank you so much for giving us a call thank today. You. Thanks for calling BAI. So we've got just a few minutes left. Gina, uh, given her thought, uh, her comment, what's so interesting is that that's one of the uh, – the concerns I had heard from uh, an organization that I, a nonprofit I had worked with about that gives these students that, that that preps these students and coaches them from sixth grade on actually, and I'm curious if that's a common sentiment you've heard as well is about the uh, the access to uh, to tutoring and support services that'll help students. Right. I mean, I think um, you know what this caller was talking about is definitely something I've heard from people who oppose the mayor's plan who want to keep the test. You know, they've spoken about things like increasing the number of specialized high schools in each borough, expanding test prep. You know, she said something about starting starting from sixth grade, providing people information about these, um, you know, specialized high schools. Um, you know, I think that I believe that DOE did did some work around. Hope I'm getting it right around expanding uh, test prep access, but didn't see changes in the number of of black and Latino students admitted. Um, so I know I, I think that's definitely something that has come up. They've said that it, it has to do with access to test prep and people. But then, of course, you know, on the other side is like, well, you know, the, those who support scrapping the test are like, well, this test prep industry, it's very expensive. They're making money off of this. So that's a little bit of what I've been hearing. You know, it's also interesting because and, and I, I want to use this time wisely in the final few minutes we're together. But I, I remember there was one student uh, that did very well uh, uh, that this organization had assisted. And I think it was Stuyvesant, but mm-hmm. it was one of the specialized schools he got accepted in. I'm almost sure it was Stuyvesant that he declined to go because he felt that there would be so few uh, students uh, in the student body that looked like him. Mm-hmm. And he decided, I want to be with people, you know, with people who look like me as well. Um, so final thoughts. You've got, you know, you're back to work tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, what you know? What do you expect? What are the issues you're going to be working on, and that you know our listeners should think about, uh, you know, that they should keep an eye out for in the coming months. Right. Um, so I mean, I think a lot of the issues we've been talking about, like specialized schools and you know school funding, foundation aid, will definitely be uh, among the issues that I'll be uh, focusing on. I, I asked the senator about the Dream Act. You know, some issues around um, you know confusion on the application process and like not really seeing the impact and even just like knowing the number of students who are impacted there's not really a it's there are different estimates it's not entirely clear exactly how many um it could be higher um than what's projected um those are things i'm going to be paying attention to um you know i think issues around special education there's been you know a lot of uh, conversation about you know whether students with disabilities, their IEPs are being met. Um, you know, the city council passed a host, host of bills to kind of expand record, reporting requirements for the DOE as far as complying with IEPs. Um, you know, I think the city in particular has done a lot of, um, you know, great reporting about, you know, some of the challenges parents have experienced as far as like, you know, filing complaints, um, res- response has taken a while to come through. And then, of course, there's this whole issue of like, 
reimbursing parents who have to place their kids in private schools if they're not their child's needs are not being met um, in the traditional public schools. Um, so that's something to pay attention to. Um, you know, I think in terms of student activism, there's been a lot, lot going on in that area for a long time. But I think thinking about this year and like some of the you know, sort of issues around racism, incidents in schools, like, you know, there was a whole thing at Beacon, Fieldston, That's right. Eleanor Roosevelt, um, you know, students are kind of coming out and, and protesting, demanding action, getting some results after boycotting and, and um, you know, Teens Take Charge and Integrate NYC. Those groups have been doing a lot of actions as well. Um, they had their like, I think it was Teens Take Charge that had these like weekly strikes, um, you know, and then, you know, they've been bringing a lot of attention around the issue of school screens, which, you know, obviously the, the whole issue around, um, you know, black and Latino students at specialized high schools is one thing. School screens, schools that screen for admissions have also had similar results in terms of low number of black and Latino students. Um, so we've got just about a minute left. I want to ask you, how can people find you? Where should they go to follow you and your coverage? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter. Um, and that is? At, that's at Medina Torre. Spelled. Uh, M-A-D-I-N-A-T-O-U-R-E. <laughs> um, and if I may throw in one more thing on the higher education side, I'll definitely be looking at some of the underfunding issues of underfunding and, you know, tuition hikes, faculty diversity, curriculum diversity, adjunct pay, things like that. <laughs> Medina Torre, I want to thank you so much. Medina is with Politico. You can also check out it was politico.com. Yes. Uh, online to be able to follow her stories. I want to remind you that uh, we'll be back next Sunday. Also beyond this coming Thursday in studio with me will be a former colleague of mine, actually, from the New York City Controller's Office. That's political strategist Eljoy Mitchell. She'll be joining me in studio here for Driving Forces this Thursday at five o'clock. I want to thank our guests today, New York State Senator Shelley Mayer, chair of the Education Committee in the Senate, and also Medina Torre of Politico, who kindly joined me in studio today. If you missed any part of the show, go online to WBAI.org, go to programs and then archives. Show should be up and running in about 10 minutes. And you can also follow me, your host, Jeff Simmons, on Twitter at Jack Heights. That's J-A-C-K-H-I-T-E-S. And City Watch also is found on Twitter at City Watch WBAI and on Facebook. Thanks again for tuning in today. Please stay tuned for the Golden Age of Radio with Max Schmidt. Thank you. Thank you. WBAI in New York at 99.5 FM Mondays at 11 a.m. Along with senior producer Jillian Jonas, we delve into some of the complexities of living in one of the most diverse cities in America. From the Bronx, Greenwich Village, and Lower East Side to Sunnyside, we speak with on-the-ground activists who are fighting back against mega-developers and two tall proponents that make the Disneyfication of Times Square look like child's play. We also speak with community leaders and journalists from the Lenape Nation, Black Star News, and the People's Organization for Progress, the underreported stories, hidden histories that so often get overlooked. Living for the City, Mondays at 11 a.m. over listener-sponsored WBAI in New York. 99.5 FM and WBAI.4 on the web. WBAI's local station board is the Pacifica Foundation Board responsible for local management and operations. The next meeting of the local station board will be Wednesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. at the YWCA, 33rd Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, between Atlantic Avenue and State Street. This first local station board meeting of 2020 will also include a delegates assembly to elect WBAI representatives to the Pacifica National Board. Meetings of the local station board are open to the public, and as always, there will be an opportunity for public comment. The meeting is wheelchair accessible. 
Again, that's Wednesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. at the YWCA on 33rd Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Listeners and the public are invited and welcome. You don't have to contribute to WBAI to come to the meeting, but why not? See you Wednesday. Amended and restated Pacifica bylaws amendments have been proposed and may now be found on the Foundation's website at www.pacifica.org. For review and have been voted on by the Pacifica National Board, 